So, so, so one of the other trends that we're seeing here is also the whole FIRE movement, uh, financially independent, retire early, mm -hmm. which is a concept that, at least when I, when I was setting up my, my savings uh, 15 years ago, when I spoke to, to my bank, that, that concept, it probably existed, but it was not something that my bank spoke about. Mm. Um, maybe because it's not in the interest of banks for us to be financially independent. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, that is a movement that is very, very um, trending right now. And, and basically, it is, uh, it, it is boiled down to how, how can you become financially uh, independent um, before you're 40 years old? Which requires obviously a lot of savings. It requires a, a, a completely different view on spending, on wealth management as well. Um, but that is not something that traditional banks speak about. Right. So, 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 so that is something that you 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 hear about or read about on social media. But the the, the incumbent banks don't 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 use it as as something which could be. Of value to both parties. Mm -hmm. and people want to be financially independent from the financial system. Mm -hmm. um, there's a there's a us versus them right. uh, culture, um, which to a certain extent I can understand. Ramtin, thank you so much for coming down to Copenhagen. It's great to see you here. Thank you. So Ramtin, please tell us who you are and what you do. Yes, so um, I work as the head of innovation for Sparebank One Esserbank. It is the second largest regional bank in Norway. Um, we have approximately uh, $220 billion in gross lendings and uh, 350,000 retail and uh, corporate customers. And uh, we are present um, from the uh, west, Bergen and Stavanger, to, to Oslo in the east and on the southern shores of uh, Norway. Yeah. Right. Okay, and, and, and I know as, as Head of Innovation you, you have your hands in a lot of different pies. Today we're going to be focusing a little bit on, on the democratization of, of financial services side. So let's start, let's start by talking about what's, what's democratization, what's happening and what's driving it? So the democratization of wealth management is basically trying to, to create an even playing field for every, everyone in, in, in society basically. Mm -hmm. Historically there's been an uneven playing field where um, people who have had uh, wealth, basically, have had opportunities to invest and, and grow that uh, fortune or wealth in different types of, of instruments that previously have not been accessible to, to, to everyone. Mm -hmm. um, and I think given the, 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 the past, uh, let's say five years, uh, there's been a, a paradigm shift towards and trying to, to make those um, instruments available to the broader part of public, mm -hmm. um, fueled by technology, um, um, distributed ledger technology, blockchain, crypto, for instance, is, is, is a good example of how, um, how can I say, common people can invest in, in instruments which are um, highly lucrative. Obviously, there's a risk, but they're highly lucrative over time mm -hmm. and actually gives them the possibility to grow their fortune as well. Um, and so that is that the, the technology part is, is, is actually making it more accessible for you and me to actually go and invest in these types of uh, um, instruments as well. Um, we also see that um, there's been a, a focus on trying to, 
how do you say, uh, of fairness or purpose in the way that you invest. We see that younger generations are very focused on having a purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the fact that um, there was, there's been some events um, mainly related to, to certain companies like GameStop, um, where there's been a sense of um, unfairness mm -hmm. uh, towards the broader public and investment funds, hedge funds, who, who have a very uh, um, specific strategy on how they want to invest, where we have seen that um, um, people have, have basically um, joined forces in actually trying to, to, to even out that playing field. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that type of, that type of events and, and, and the whole um, mindset behind it is basically what is trying to fuel the whole democratization of, of, of wealth management. Right, and is there, is this driven more by an opportunity that technology is bringing about, or is there a problem at the core of this that this is trying to solve? Oh, that is a very good question. I think, I, I think there's there's a, the root there's a root cause here, mm -hmm. which is um, I think it's quite obvious to see um, um, where where there's an in, inequality of the the access towards this type of uh, instruments. Mm -hmm. Um, another example could be, for instance, um, equity raising for, for startups. Mm -hmm. um, you have a lot of uh, uh, startups here in, in, in Copenhagen FinTech Lab. How do you actually get on the investor side of those? Right. That's mm -hmm. not possible. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Unless you are a family office, you have some type of wealth, connections to be able to actually invest in these companies. Right. But a lot of the value creation actually happens from when the startup is in its very infant phase and moves to, to a scale-up and from there onwards maybe to, to, to getting uh, noted on, on the stock exchange. Right. But, but, but how do you actually access that? And that is part of the inequality, mm -hmm. which some companies actually are actually trying to, to solve. Right, and, and you mentioned that, that uh, there's, there's also uh, newer generations that are coming with, uh, with, with bigger expectations. My question is, why is this happening now? Is there any other drivers in the market that, is, that are causing this to be the perfect storm that brings about this change? Mm. I, think there, I think it's a composed uh, trend that we're seeing with a lot of different factors. So this is not an exhaustive list, but, mm -hmm. but at least uh, it, it covers the, the, the main basic points, uh, in my opinion. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has something to say in all this. There was mm -hmm. two years with the, where a lot of people were laid off um, and the need for alternate income streams for personal uh, households uh, became evident that mm -hmm. you need to, to, to actually be able to, um, to get an income from somewhere. So a lot of people actually research how, how, how can I uh, set up parallel uh, revenue streams where uh, platforms uh, like Robinhood, like um, um, actually plays an important role in actually trying to understand how this this world actually uh, mm -hmm. actually works. So that is uh, that that is one part of it. The second one was actually, as you mentioned yourself, the purpose-driven investment side, mm -hmm. trying to even out the playing field. Mm -hmm. um, but also the, the the technology, as as we t briefly talked about, because. We, we haven't had that type of access to instruments before. Mm -hmm. um, 
um, the syndication, for instance, of, of high-value assets. Mm -hmm. There are companies that work with the syndication of, of real estate. Mm -hmm. So if I want to buy a real estate by the waterfront here in Copenhagen, that's obviously out of my league. Um, but if there are instruments there that can syndicate that type of asset mm. for me to buy a share of it, yeah. that makes it interesting. And there are companies who actually work with this and actually try to provide it. One of the other trends that we're seeing here is also the whole FIRE movement, uh, financially independent, retire early, mm -hmm. which is a concept that at least when I, when I was setting up my, my savings uh, 15 years ago, when I spoke to, to my bank, that, that concept, it probably existed, but it was not something that my bank spoke about. Mm. Um, maybe because it's not in the interest of banks for us to be financially independent. Yeah. Um, but nevertheless, that is a movement that is very, very um, trending right now. And, and basically it is, uh, it, it is boiled down to how, how can you become financially uh, independent um, before you're 40 years old. Which requires obviously a lot of savings, it requires a, a, a completely different view on spending, on wealth management as well. Um, but that is not something that traditional banks speak about. Right. So, 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 so that is something that you, you, you hear about or read about on social media but the, the, the incumbent banks don't, don't, don't use it as, as something which could be of value to both parties. And, and what, what do you think is driving this, this, this movement? I think it, it is partially, I think it's, it, it, it is due to, again, the sense of inequality. Mm -hmm. um, people want to be financially independent from the financial system. Mm -hmm. um, there's a, there's a us versus them right. uh, culture, um, which to a certain extent I can understand. Right, very interesting. Um, if, we, if we talk about democratization and about this being the right time to introduce this product to market, uh, I know that in your experience uh, working on the bank, you also sit in the board of several companies that are bringing these new products to market. What would you say is the main challenge of introducing a product to a market where there hasn't been a demand for that product? in the past, mm. especially when mm. making it accessible to the mass market? Mm. Um, I, think, I think to some extent it, 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 it contributes to a polarization in the market. On the one hand, you have the incumbent banks, mm -hmm. um, which provide classical um, investments in funds, stocks, uh, and so on, um, which kind of have had a, if you, if you look at the different uh, social media um, um, investment sites on Reddit uh, and so on, um, you see that they have a kind of a tainted reputation. Mm. Don't trust them. Um, and on the other side, you have this more of a, uh, a fair approach on how, how you can do this, uh, do, do, do uh, investment in, in these type of uh, instruments. So introducing that type of tools might kind of fuel that uh, that polarization. Where should where should where should I put my money? Mm -hmm. Should I trust the bank, which I've had a customer relationship with for the past 10, 20 years? Mm -hmm. I trust them. But here on the other side, there's a lot of new companies, fintech companies, who are providing me an alternate service, usually cheaper, mm -hmm. uh, better designed, great UX. But do I actually trust them? Right. 
And that, is, that, and, 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 and that is one of the positions that the incumbent banks have had for a very long time, trust, mm -hmm. which is a key element in, in, in the business model. Mm -hmm. And that is just something that takes time. Mm. So, yeah. Right, and I think if we look at, at the past 20, 30 years, there's always been this, this, this move towards getting people on what they call the property ladder, because mm. that's a way in which they can build mm. wealth and then increase their wealth over time. Now we're, we hear a lot of talk about getting people on the investment ladder through democratization. Now my question to you is, why, why would a customer choose investment over pro uh, equity on, on property? Or uh, what, what's the advantage of choosing these new type of services that are being democratized? Uh, that is a very good question. Um... Uh, obviously, I'm not a financial advisor, so. <laughs> uh, but but I think I think it's important to have uh, some type of diverse portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, 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 but there are some advantages towards um, these types of tools, um, which basically brings down the the barrier for uh, for entry, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, we've known that, at least here in, 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 in the Nordic countries, that the, the, the housing market has been soaring the past, yeah, at least two years. Yeah. Um, um, Maybe partially, partially fueled by the boredom of people. They, they couldn't travel, they couldn't mm. buy stuff, they couldn't go out. So what they do, yeah, they, they renovate and, and, and sell and buy houses, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that increases barriers for new entrants. So if you're a young couple who wants to settle, uh, buy an apartment, it's difficult to get into the market. So, um, and, and, and sure, you should get into the property ladder if it's possible, but this, the democratization of, of, of the wealth uh, and the savings could, could become a, a, a stepping stone towards, towards that. But inherently there is risk there as well. Mm. Um, so actually, a, a good example is um, there are companies who actually work with uh, a company local in, in Stavanger, Norway, who's actually working with making it more accessible for younger couples or people to get into the housing market by providing some of the equity right. for getting in. Mm -hmm. And that is also a part of democratization, right? Because people who have been investing in the housing market the past 20 years, they don't have a problem with selling and buying, selling and buying. Mm. But if you haven't done that before, how do you actually get in? Yeah. So, so there's some interesting thoughts on how, how actually the democratization, not only on wealth, but, but in general on, in investments and savings is actually a very, very broad topic. Um, and I think a lot of people are starting to realize, all right, there's actually a movement here, which is quite interesting. And a lot of these fintech companies are actually providing services there, which are solu a, a solution to a societal issue mm -hmm. because for people not being able to get into the housing market that is a societal issue mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. now that I think that brings me nicely into my next question which is um, if we are democratizing the entire spectrum of services within wealth management there's there's of course lots of different areas where we could start with what in your opinion are the low-hanging fruits that could be addressed first within wealth management I think um, um, insights and knowledge is, is, is quite important. Um, um, during, during the pandemic, we saw there was a lot of younger people um, moving into the stock market. Mm -hmm. What they saw at that point was interest rates that were going down. There was a lot of hype around, yeah, 
parallel income, you should invest. There was a, uh, a demand for, for that type of services, which basically increased the, uh, the, the stock market and, and the investment appetite in general. Mm -hmm. Now we have kind of moved past that. And I believe that today we're seeing a, a, a market in general that behaves a bit more naturally mm -hmm. because what we had before was not in my opinion quite natural right so i think a lot of people have suddenly gotten a wake-up call like oh wow the stock market isn't always going up <laughs> it's always it's also <laughs> going down yeah which kind of spooks a lot of people i think um and we know that that that, that being invested in the stock market is a is a patience game mm -hmm. But if you're a young investor, you haven't actually realized that things can go down. There are bad times as well, and you don't have the appetite to actually be in the stock market. That could impact your wealth in a negative way. Mm. But how do you combat that? You combat it by having insights, understanding how these type of things work. So one of the low hanging fruits, in my opinion, is to trying to educate and, and make people understand how these types of things works which is, in my opinion, also part of the democratization of wealth. You need to understand how the underlying mechanism, industries, uh, instruments, um, and, and how the macroeconomy actually actually works. Um, so, yeah. All right, and I think if we look at, at wealth management, as we mentioned before, it, it traditionally was, was inaccessible to certain parts of the, of, the, of the population, mainly because it's a very high-touch type of service that requires an advisor, that requires a lot of time being spent on, on a particular portfolio. Now, as technology is, is bringing down those barriers and is automating a lot of those functions, in your opinion, do you think that, that investment companies and banks will continue to optimize the physical channel, or is this going to be a replacement by technology? That is an extremely good uh, question, and, and there's... These two things are, are usually put aside as two opposites. Mm. You have the physical channel in the one, the old school incumbent banks who have uh, financial advisors. You get in, sit in a chair, drink some coffee, and you in, kind of discuss how your portfolio should be set up. Yeah. And on the other hand, you have digital channels where you just do everything uh, online, um, and, and maybe you have a chatbot who can advise you on, on, on certain areas. Uh, Robo-advisory is an area that we see is, is really um, increasing in, 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 in at least Norway, but also here in, in, in Copenhagen. We have Noah Investments who are in the house here who, who, who does a lot of that. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I don't think it's a question of either or. Um, I think, I think there's, there's room for both. Um, I believe that you, we need to we need to develop the physical channel still. Mm. A lot of younger generations who have spent a lot of time behind the screen, what we see is that we, when we actually, as an incumbent bank, bring them into the chair and they discuss eye to eye, we see that they actually prefer that because they need the validation, they need the, uh, the, the, the check mark that, all right, a professional has looked over their economy. Mm -hmm. This is going to be fine. Um, it, you know, we, we have we have uh, we have this under control. You don't you don't get that type of um, trust building uh, foundation with digital tools yet. Mm -hmm. And that was kind mm -hmm. of pointing back to what I was talking about earlier. That it takes a lot of time to build that type of trust. And I think it's easier when you're sitting across one another rather than interacting with a screen. Mm -hmm. Which is something I think uh, is a question for a lot of the new fintechs, for instance. A good question, how, how does Noah Investment build trust? Mm -hmm. 
because people are pouring their savings into this, right? Yeah. I think it's much easier for Danske Bank or uh, uh, Nukredit or some other to, to, to build trust when we're sitting across each other and people are saying, this is going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe just, just, just to close, um, what would you say are the main opportunities that democratization of wealth management is opening both for investment companies and for customers? I think there's 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 a possibility here for for achieving some type of synergy between between these two. Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of investment companies want to use the the whole hype around this. Um, I think it's possible for them to invest in a lot of the tools. They have a lot of the knowledge and the trust. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of the distribution network as well. And we know that fintechs and those who provide the tools for the democratization actually have the possibility to make it accessible. Mm -hmm. And this is one of the things that I've been speaking about earlier as well, is that the fintech companies lack the trust and the distribution network, but the incumbents have the trust and the distribution network. Yeah. So why not collaborate on those two areas? Because mm -hmm. I think it's a, it's a match made in heaven, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But it requires that, that, that each party actually gives a bit up of um, uh, of, of the business model and actually try to to understand one another because I think both parties are um, there's, a, there's a lot to earn by being able to provide a, a, a collaboration towards the end user here mm -hmm. because that is ultimately the goal here to right. provide better services for everyone equally right and if, if I may just one last question um, if you look forward three to five years. How do you think the market would look once this democratization trend is no longer a trend and goes mainstream? I hope, I hope that uh, a lot of the, the, the new services provided by the fintechs are able to build that trust that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that takes years. It is not done next week, you know, or it, it, it takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. We just saw no investment passing two billion Danish kroners in asset under management. Right. So, so obviously they're moving in the right direction, uh, and hopefully we will see uh, a world where the incumbent banks also have understood that. All right, we need to rethink this. We can't just provide investments for the wealthiest in society. We need to rethink how we can do this for for the mass market mm. on a platform and with a pricing that is accessible for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Because we see what these fin a lot of the fintech companies um, are providing is, is a much cheaper platform. Right. All right, with that, well, we thank you so much for coming down. Thank you, Chris. It's been really interesting hearing your insights. And, uh, Likewise. And of course, we're, we're very much looking forward to also hearing you at Nordic Fintech Week in September. Yes, looking much forward to it. Thanks. Awesome, thanks very much.